Welcome to 40 Cray, a podcast by two almost 40-something guys whose adult lives and responsibilities really haven't eclipsed our love and zeal for hobbies and passions and fun, including video games and Warhammer, Uno, the playing card game, food, all kinds of things. I'm here. I'm, of course, Ben, a.k.a. LS Demon, and I'm joined by Tommy Bones. Hello. And that's that's how you know we're two different people, because if he said hello, I obviously can't be doing his voice. I will drink water while you <laughs> do the intro. Okay, and as always, uh, well, no, not as always. On this special occasion, never as always, we have a special guest star who's our local hobby Drukari expert, uh, Phil, a.k.a. Phildo. Hello. Phil, good good to have you on the show. Great intro. You're a natural. Look at that. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. I'm pleased Although, to be here. Well, thanks, man. I, honestly, actually, you, you are a natural, right? Because you've been a voice actor in the past, whereas Tom and I are just drunk uh, hobby nerds. <laughs> Accurate. Well, I have a demo, at least. Speaking of demo, that's a terrible segue, but we're going to go with it every, anyway. Uh, what's everybody drinking tonight? Uh, I'm having a uh, Victory IPA. Ooh. Victory IPA, of course. Got to have the hops. Uh, Tom, what's, what's in your cup today? Uh, currently, Founders... All day IPA session ale. Sounds like two good choices. I had a little bit of a drinking experience this morning uh, due to uh, actually being able to go to an outdoor bar. So I am actually abstaining right now, but I am drinking Lidl organic orange strawberry banana juice to try to gain back electrolytes that I lost during the day. (laughs) Well, tonight uh, we have a very special episode. I mean, every episode is very special. You know, I don't want to hype it up too much, but it'll be good. We, we're going to talk about uh, the Drukari, a.k.a. the Dark Eldar. As you know from all of our past episodes, Tom's core, his heart is in the Emperor's Children. Uh, I'm in Thousand Sons, but between us, we play a bunch of factions. But among them, we, we don't really do Dark Eldar slash Drukari. So we invited Phil, who's not only a Drukari enthusiast, but actually the local gatekeeper person to be in our local game group <laughs> due to how good his Drukari lists are. Well... Uh, at least they're good enough to beat you. I mean, good enough to beat me, but let's be honest, a a chimp who came in last in his class would probably still beat me at this game. But that's okay, because it's still fun. So, <laughs> Phil, you know, we had this uh, a similar deep dive with my brother, uh, who plays orcs as his man and is huge about orcs. First question for you, like, when did you first get into to Warhammer, and, and what drew you to the hobby? Well, if we're going to go all the way back, I guess when I was younger, I had a a copy of Hero Quest, the uh, the table the board game that uh, GW put out, uh, and I really liked some of the miniatures there. Uh, there was like a Chaos Warrior sort of. Uh, I just I thought they were really cool looking. And then I didn't interact with uh, Warhammer proper until probably the mid 2000s uh, with uh, some of the video game properties, uh, Dawn of War specifically. Oh, yeah. It was probably my gateway into the actual uh, Warhammer universe, especially 40k. I spent some time with Warhammer Online as well short-lived as it was and as far as actually getting on the tabletop ben you were the one who actually got me into it so thank you and also you suck uh (laughs) sincerely my wallet (laughs) that was a very serious letter i don't know tom i i remember i was kind of the catalyst i think as you and i had been talking about it for a while and then we we got into kill team so not too different i don't think yeah um likewise the uh a lot of lying to one significant others about how much your hobby costs. Hey, even just putting together uh, kill teams for Jukari, I had to buy, I think, five or six boxes. Right. It's uh, 
not not a, a great entry point <laughs> to the series. Uh, <laughs> it should have started with Harlequins or something like that. Well, you know, Phil, what I think is hilarious is, you know, you you and Tom actually both got the bug pretty hard. Like, we played Kill Team, you know, all of us at, at different times. And then Phil, right around the corner after starting, you had, I think you've already got like five or six teams, whereas Tom has started with the teams and then just started expanding out a chaos collection that now includes, I think, three knights, right, Tom? Yeah, got a desecrator slash rampager and two despoilers. Nice. And I just picked up the uh, chaos battle force decimation warband because I have a problem. Well, I was only planning to start with or uh, to do one army, and then. Ben had some extra fire warriors, uh, Tau fire warriors, and I figured if I was going to have them, I was going to build a proper team, which you can't do without crisis suits and stealth suits and a whole bunch of drones uh, and some pathfinders, and suddenly I had a whole other uh, carrying case full of uh, minis. <laughs> That's how they get you. Yeah, right. So, so Games it, Workshop, you should you absolutely have to keep you know supporting Kill Team because it is such a gateway. But anyway, yeah, Phil, go on there. Uh, at which point, I think by the time I was finished building the Tal, people were getting really fed up with playing against Rax. <laughs> uh, so I figured I had to start branching out a little bit and try some other armies. So I've picked up uh, some Harlequins, some Gene Stealer Cults. I went on eBay and got the uh, Gellerpox Infected team. Really mm-hmm. like them. Not particularly competitive, but they're very fun. Well, the, uh, the different rules you have to use. Uh, like, every single unit has a special rule associated with it. And so it really keeps your opponent on their toes. Uh, and I'm actually in the process of getting uh, collecting some Death Guard just to round out the collection for now. Yeah. Actually, I think, Tom, you're, you're working on a Death Guard collection too, right? Yeah, I just uh, assembled and primed them. Yeah, I just got a box of Plague Marines and the Push Fit, easy-to-build Poxwalkers. Uh, no Terminators, huh? Nah. Yeah, I, I like, nah, nah, no other, <laughs> just, nah, <laughs> fuck the Terminators, I'm not doing that noise. I might never use them, but I find that I like building the larger models, and I have just enough room, I think, in my case for them, so I'm going to build uh, but, uh, the box of five Terminators just to, just to have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say Death Guard. So I, I do have a Death Guard army. Actually, Phil, you should know that because you crushed me in our last game. I was playing them. They are very fun to paint and put together. I think they were among my two favorite groups, maybe three favorite I ever painted. I love Tyranids because you could pick any color scheme, and they, they're really easy to contrast paint, which I loved. I loved my Thousand Suns because they're so intricate, and, and I always just love their color scheme. But Death Guard, there's so many nooks and crannies that getting all those details is really interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to weather them. Just all the rust and grime and grossness. That should, should be fun. Well, maybe that's a good segue. Speaking of grossness, so, Phil, we <laughs> talked a little bit about what got you into the uh, the hobby. Obviously, video games and other great gateways. So hopefully we'll get some really good 40K video games at some point. <laughs> uh, not dissing Dawn of War. Dawn of War is always fun. Beyond that, though, uh, I know Drakari is your main. So I'd love to know a little bit about, you know, where that fascination came from and, and what drew you to the... What what did we call them, Tom? I know when Gabrielle was on the show, I think, didn't we call them, like, sex elves or something? Yeah, the elves that worship sex. That's it. That's what we call them. They, they're certainly very explicit from a content perspective. It's so much more than just sex, though. It's also pain. <laughs> sex very and pain. True. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much it, but it's two things. <laughs> uh, so to your question, uh, I had basically started by 
borrowing your uh, your Death Guard, and I played my first probably half dozen games primarily with Death Guard. And when I was looking to get my own army, uh, I wanted to do something a little different, and I really was drawn to the variety of units available for the Drukari. As I mentioned, I had to buy five or six boxes to build all the possible iterations for my team. And it was all high mobility, low toughness, low armor, uh, for the most part, uh, with very few exceptions. Uh, I liked that it was a it was very different from the Death Guard that I had been playing. I think it actually provided uh, it was more of a challenge to to learn them uh, and to to figure out a strategy that worked, as opposed to with Death Guard where you just sort of run up the middle and rely on your toughness and your armor and you're disgustingly resilient to survive whatever comes at you. Uh, with the Drukari, you have to really stay out of sight as much as possible uh, and pick and choose your battles. They certainly do require a completely different strategy and level of oversight to play versus Death Guard. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm interested because it really sounds like your uh, decision to main them came more from, you know, partially aesthetic, but partially just to do something different. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Uh, although... At the time that I was doing it also, people were just starting to discover them competitively, and everybody was talking about rack spam at the time, so just building uh, like a, a full army of racks, and it's basically, at that point, plays the same as the Death Guard, where you just wander up the middle and you weather all the fire that comes at you, with the exception that your guys really can't kill anybody, uh, and you rely on your auxiliaries, the Mandrakes, and the Incubi for that. So there is, I guess, a subsection of the Drukari that can play that way, but I still feel I, I feel most drawn to, uh, to the Cobblelites. I really like the big guns, even if you can only take one or two of them. I was stuck thinking about the big guns. I'm like, they got the shredder. The shredder is the one that's like a melter gun, right? No, that's the, you're thinking it's, of the dark that's lance, the, which is no, the dark lance is like the last can. Oh, the blaster yeah. is the melter gun. Splinter. You're can? right, the short range one. Yes, it's the blaster. Yeah. Oh yeah, then the splinter can. Well, so here's another interesting thing. It sounds like the the. Do we have to call them Drukari? Can I call them Dark Eldar? <laughs> Go for it. They are making some rules to Drukari. So for example, splinter. Uh, ah. cannon or heavy splinter rifle. What's that thing called, Tom? Did a little look up. The blaster is the melta. So the blaster is the melta, and the dark lance is the las cannon. But the the point the whatever this the you're heavy bolter. So you're thinking yeah. of the splinter cannon. Yeah. So that's going from um, rapid fire three to uh, heavy three, but it's two damage, right? Right. Yeah, and it gets an extra point of AP as well. Okay, so but that's a really interesting change because right now it's like pew, 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 and it's going to go from, uh, you know, many bolts that can take out relatively low-armored folks to a smaller number of bolts that can actually take out a Marine equivalent in the right circumstances. I still feel like with the change, I'd always take the Dark Lance over the Splinter Cannon because the, the reason to take the Splinter Cannon was because you could split your fire better mm. and you wouldn't have to waste a specialism to, to move it uh, and avoid a, a, a malice to your shooting. Right. So now that it's a heavy, you have to park it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Although not to get too on a tangent, but man, I, I know I've been talking to you guys about all the changes that Command Point and Glass Half Dead have been reporting on the Marines and the Praia Nexus. You may need D2 weapon to actually take those guys out now. I think you just need to play Marines. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I was also reviewing some of the change leaks for the Drukari, uh, for the new Codex. And going back a little way, a little while to, I think, November of last year, there was a leak where the, the weapon for the Clavex and the Incubi, the Clave, is also getting uh, updated to two damage. Hmm. And it's strength plus two now instead of strength plus one. 
So there's another two damage weapon in your arsenal, and all of a sudden, uh, uh, most people only play with the Clavex. They don't usually use an, inc an Incubus as well, but you might be running a few of them in the future. Uh, you know, strength five, three AP, two damage with a melee weapon is pretty good, especially if you're getting three attacks with it base. And their uh, weapon skill is apparently getting upgraded to two up. Just well, but that's going to kind of nuke that whole power from pain thing, isn't it? Because right uh, now, I think on like the third or fourth round, they hit on a two-up as a bonus. Are they getting rid of power from pain, you think? Uh, probably not. Well, I don't know, but uh, I wouldn't think so. I suspect that it basically means that you can suffer a flush wound and still hit on a two after round three. Hmm. So it basically means you're always hitting. Like transhuman. Pretty much. Yeah, I think I saw they might be doing that to witches as well, but it will be interesting to see when it all shakes out. I mean, everything's going to be interesting. Again, I kind of wonder if, you know, at some point, are we going to get a full kill team breakdown change-up? Because actually it does seem there were some hints in a recent Warhammer community article that it was possible kill team was going to get overhauled. Mm. Yeah, that would be great. I'm a little concerned if they do it halfway through the rollout of the 9th edition codexes, so only half of the armies get updated. All of a sudden yeah, everybody else is getting extra attacks, extra armor-piercing, two damage weapons. Yeah, and then the, you know, somebody else is getting left in the dirt. They have a tendency to do that. Yeah, the dog agrees. <laughs> was that was that your dog, Tom, or your dog, Phil? I believe that was mine. That is Conan that the Corgi. Was Conan, Conan the Corgi. Uh, Conan the he Lady your... Corgi, which, which I think is an interesting. Uh, good, good for you being, you know. It's 2021. Giving... Girls can be Conan. Girls can be Conan. Girls can be whatever the f they want. Amen. <laughs> All right, on that note, let's get back to Drakari. So, Phil, since you started taking them over, even though it was more of a pragmatic decision, vice, you know, kind of the things that uh, when we were talking to Andrew, you know, my brother, he talks about orcs. It's like they're his spirit animal. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's the case for you and Drakari. Am I wrong? Uh, I, I'm here wearing black eyeliner right now. Oh, that's well, done. <laughs> Full okay, cool. white face paint. Uh, I'm completely goth. No. Uh, High as balls. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Warp dust. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's very uh, very much not how uh, how my personality goes. But uh, I, as I mentioned, I like the army. I like that it's a challenge. Uh, they're extremely maneuverable. Some of their weapons, uh, when they do hit like the dark lands, it will ruin your day, mm -hmm. and it can kill pretty much anything on the board. Uh, but it's also very easy for your opponent to take off the board. Pretty much every single uh, unit in the roster, with the exception of the uh, the racks and the grotesque, are toughness three. So if someone hits you, you're, they're forcing a save pretty much. And a lot of the guys have uh, a lot of your units have five up saves. Mandrakes don't have a save, or I guess they have an invuln. But you're going to be rolling those saves a lot. And then I know, like when we play, your core for a while was that rack list, and then you changed it up to Kabbalites. Like, what's your favorite list to run? Not from like I want to win, but from a I'm going to have a good time tonight perspective. I think I like souping the best. I like to take the specialists from each roster, just because there's so many options. It's fun to mix and match the like a witch, a witch with a, a rack with an Ossifactor, uh, which with a Dark Lance. I'm probably always playing a Clavex because they're just amazing. It's the roster MVP by far. A couple of Mandrakes and a Night Fiend. Mandrakes because you can drop them behind enemy lines. Uh, yeah, I, I don't like... I, people have said this already. I'm, I'm not saying anything new here, but the fact that you don't get your roster, basically your roster bonus, if you're mixing witches with uh, with racks with Cobblites is frustrating. 
I want to put the ball on the board. But if I'm trying to be a little more competitive, then I'd be probably playing a, a Cobblelight roster right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the versatility is pretty fun. I know, Tom, one of the reasons we always liked Heretics is you can be reasonably shooty or you can be very close combat-y, although neither really super great. I guess with the Drukari, it feels like you can do both really well. Yeah, like each of the like the, the Witch Covens or the, the Cobblelight, they each have their own thing. Like the Cobblelights are shooty, the Witches are, are close combat, so you can sort of uh, pick one and go with, play to Witch Strength. I want to like Witches more. I think they're really neat models. The rules are really interesting. But they're way too fragile mm. and you lose too many of them on the approach. I just... I found it really frustrating on open boards to play with them. Uh, I do very fondly remember, though, playing against uh, a Novak Necron list, uh, full Flayed One spam, and just destroying them. Because uh, <laughs> when the Witches get to close combat, they have a three-up invuln. Most of their weapons are one damage, so you're not triggering regeneration protocols very often. It, it went my way pretty heavily. It was a, it was a memorable match. <laughs> Although we'll see how that goes, because the flayed ones are going to get a bump too. Although actually, I think it, I think we did the math, and it's more of a debuff than a buff. They get an extra AP, but in in return they can't reroll all wounds anymore. Yeah, losing the reroll of wounds is a is a big debuff to them, in my opinion. Especially against uh, non-marine equivalents. Yeah. So, Phil, have you learned any like super sneaky tactics or strategies that you like to use with your? Drukari lists anything that uh, I, I'm tr- I'm sure there have been some times where you've just like completely surprised us and rocked us with something unexpected. I'm not sure if I've come up with anything that's unique. I love the the variety of the tactics that are available to them, uh, where you can fall back and still shoot even though your your units can't fly, uh, where you can uh, or fire after moving, uh, not fire after moving, um, fire and move after firing. Thank you. Yes, Fire and Fade, where you can fire and then duck your Dark Lands, for instance, back into cover so that it can't be uh, fired, uh, they can't return fire, or use it to take a point that your guy couldn't quite get to. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I love the variety of what you can do with it, even if most of the time you are using your command points for tactical rerolls. The fact that you have those sitting in your pocket is is excellent, and it has to make your opponent think. If they if they know Dr- about Drukari, then they have to always be worrying which one you're going to pull out. <laughs> What? In fact, there's one, uh, I don't think I've ever used it, I always forget about it, but there's a tactic called Taste of Pain. When you when your model from your kill team suffers a flesh wound, add one to the attacks characteristic of that model. So they get an extra attack, and they ignore the penalty hit roll, uh, to hit rolls from any flesh wounds it suffered. So giving a, a witch or you know an incubus, for instance, or a, a mandrake an extra attack, and you ignore whatever flesh wounds it's taken, that's really powerful, and that's one CP. I mean, it's a good point. Like everything you're saying, you got really good tactics, but you kind of have to be situationally aware to deploy them. You've got a mix of troops, and especially when you're souping, but even if you're not, they have hard checks and hard victories. So Clavex is awesome unless he gets caught in a shooty situation or unless somebody falls back from him and then he's completely nuked for a round. Your Mandrakes are great unless they're against kind of forced focus enemy fire. Uh, your your Kabbalites are good at a distance, but only a certain distance or a very specific kind of range. Your your witches great in combat, but pretty papery. You know, it seems like to to play this team effectively, you really have to own the board and be very proactive about setting up those troops for the right kind of success. Uh, you know, and and have a strategy to run it. In. You can't just have Death Guard type like, hey, we're gonna throw you in there and you'll probably survive a couple rounds. Or orcs like, yeah, we'll just melee and they'll probably be okay. 
custodies. <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> beloved custodies. Yeah, and it helps every unit on your roster has at least seven inches of movement. The witches get eight. So you can really run around uh, and set yourself up for success if you're smart in the movement phase. So what's what's your favorite matchup? Like if you're a Drukari, who's your favorite person? Uh, person? Oh my gosh, boy, it's been a long day. Who's your favorite faction? That was what I was trying to say, faction. I said person. <laughs> What's your favorite faction to play against when you're playing them Dark Eldar? That's a good question. I don't I don't know if I have a specific favorite. Uh, as I mentioned, I really love that Necrons matchup uh, because it's one of the few times I've used witches. Uh, yeah. I like them, but just watching them all die to gunfire is too frustrating. Uh, that's why I have the Gene Stealer called Kill Team for you know for off weeks. I'd say I like I like playing them against Thousand Sons uh, partially because and you play Thousand Sons a lot and it's. It's a good matchup. It's tough. Tough, but winnable for both sides, really. Yeah. Uh, I'd say, I guess I like playing against orcs, too, because orcs are just great all the time. Even when you're losing to them, they're just a yeah, tough that's true. Fun. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's, uh, um, that's probably my favorite matchup. It's just the orc chaos. Uh, yeah, in general. Like, what was it, last week? I was playing against an orc, uh, an orc team, and you know, I was using, uh, I was playing Gene Stealer Cults at the time, but... I lost two aberrants, two rocket launchers. Like, two turns in a row, the rocket launcher yes. killed an aberrant. Yeah, the, the the listeners know when we had Andrew on talking about orcs, he actually has a, an orc list, which he built, <laughs> again, not to be competitive, just to have fun, around uh, the Death Skulls having tons of rerolls and having an ammo run and was able to basically get a rocket launcher that for one CP can fire twice and have a reroll... Uh, hit for each time and you know with four rolls even if you need a six to hit like, like statistically if there's a pretty good chance better than 50 percent that you're going to to win or to, to hit i should say and it's hilarious when it does like you know, phil you and i and actually tom this is a huge theme of this if you want to learn how to win go check out command point or glass half dead or a uh, <laughs> Goonhammer. If you want to learn how to dick around and have fun, we're, we're the guys to go to. And for that, build an orc list where you're just trying to rocket launch at people. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell that. you what. The, the second time he did it to me, he didn't even have to use a reroll. It just natural six on the first throw. It was it was horrific. I was <laughs> I was running a seven unit roster because I wanted to just put a bunch of aberrants on the board, and every time I lost one, it was like <laughs> it was terrible. But hilarious. So, so to confirm, by the way, Andrew with his orc, if he can do a Death Skulls reroll and an Ammo Rent reroll, and he pays one CP for Daka Daka, he's got a 52% chance of hitting you with a rocket launcher. If if you're he, obstructed or long range, if you're closer, it's significantly better. And then he can save his CP for the wound roll. He can reroll that, right? He can reroll the wound roll. Well, with Death Skulls, he can do that. <laughs> Not true. That's um, broken. So suddenly, it's it's not though because it's it's so flimsy. And if you just like take it seriously, you can quite easily neutralize it. But nobody ever does. Um, much to our hilarity. Okay, so if it's if you're not obscured or long range, he's got an 80% chance of hitting you. <laughs> that is those are good odds. That's like Phil when you use your stupid recon drone to kill my sorcerer in, in turn one, even though he's behind cover because of your dumb recon drone. Uh, Pathfinders are broken too. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I guess if I had a second man, it would be Tao. Uh, but I do love the Drukari above all others. So Tom, have you, you know, when you're playing, have you played against Tower Drukari, and have you noticed any uh, any specific obstacles or challenges playing against them? Uh, so I've I've played each faction, uh, and neither time my opponent's lists were optimized. Uh, I think when I played Tao, he just took one of the suits that has three flamers um, and just let me get into close combat. And I just... Uh, I tied up the suit with a cultist that refused to die. Like, he he should not have survived so long. Um, but he was basically... Just kept getting into combat and not dying. Uh, and then all of his uh, rail rifles just... I don't know, he let me get into close combat with them. Uh, so that was an easy win. And... Um, the Drukari, all he brought was Mandrakes. That's the that's the tournament winning list from just a couple months ago. That's what everybody was using. Just well, all I, Mandrakes? Yeah. Yeah. The uh, meta switched from racks to Mandrakes a few months ago, and they're apparently nasty, but you can beat them. Yeah, maybe he didn't know how to use them then, because. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What? Why is it so hard to kill them? Like they're not that strong. Well, they're minus one to hit at all times. Yeah. Uh, they have a five up invuln, so you can't AP them. Uh, great. They get three attacks base in close combat, strength four, AP minus one, uh, and they have a gun that is assault two with an eighteen inch range that has exploding sixes on the wound roll. So they're pretty good at both melee and range combat, and they're hard to hit unless you can, you know. Plop that crisis suit with the, th- the three flamers down right in front of them. <clears throat> so what, like, what is the meta? Like, how do they make? Well, the way that they were beaten at the, the way they were beaten in the tournament was, uh, it was an Astra Militarum team with all the Blackstone Fortress models. Mm. Uh, I would also say flamers are really good against them. Uh, once you get inside their bail blast range, you know, if you can, if you can flamer them before they can charge you from out of, you know, out of eight inches or twelve inches in the future. <laughs> twelve inch flamers are yeah, broken. Yeah, that's gonna be. That's going to be rough. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to charge from out of sight. Uh, and that's definitely a nerf to Mandrakes in general. But the fact that on turn one you can basically use a 1CP tactic to drop up to three Mandrakes behind enemy lines as long as they're not... Anywhere on the board, really. Yeah, totally. Anywhere on the board outside of five inches from an enemy. Mm-hmm. So you drop them either behind cover or out of line of sight. Turn two, your power from pain bonus is to reroll failed charges. So... You have them in close combat on turn two. So they're very good at that. But again, toughness three, so once you land a hit, really the answer is is volume of shots, really. Five up involved is only so good. Yeah, again, that's why I think like the, the four up racks are just they're they're what, like eight points, is that right? Uh yeah, eight points. So I mean for eight points you get somebody who's pretty good in combat with a bunch of attacks. We'll use wound on a four up. They're you know, very it's toughness four, four up invuln. Um, it's just, it's such a good deal. There's for pound for pound. I can't think of any other eight point fodder that's anywhere near that. Like they wreck my Zangors. They're reasonably good against orcs. You know, Tyranids don't really stand a chance if, unless you're getting your big bugs out, but even then you crushed mine pretty easily. So anyway, and they still have that seven inch movement so they can move around the board. They can take points. Right. You're looking at huge advances some, there. Some li- li- fire guns and shit. <laughs> yeah. Armor pier- uh, D3 armor-piercing flamers. It's great. If you, uh, depending on how you build your roster, you can have up to four liquefire guns on the board. Liquefire guns. All right. 
Enough about tabletop. I'm tired of hearing about how good they are. They are beatable. Lots of flamers, you know, quantity of shots. If you're playing against witches, keep them back. If you're playing against mandrakes, I don't know, get flamers that are 12 inches long. Let's talk about lore, guys. Tom, <laughs> my question, I start with you. Now, you're you're an Emperor's Children guy, self-professed, because as uh-huh. you said, they're all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. I would argue so are the Drukari. Yeah, for different reasons. Yeah. So, so why not? Uh, what, what's what's different about them versus Emperor Children that repulses you, where where your beloved Sladeshi folks uh, bring you in, like a like a a longtime friend giving you a gentle hug? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I liked. I was drawn to Chaos. I guess Undivided first. Uh, they grabbed my interest, and then uh, sort of narrowed my scope from there. But it was always Chaos. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the the uh, corrupted humans or or transhumans i guess uh you know corrupted by the forces of the war i think for me when i when they came out i remember it i think it was like phil we figured out it was like 98 99 right yeah 98 was when the third edition codex came out and and i remember they were just so different because you know eldar up until that point had been these like primary colors most of the armies really were like if you look at orcs back it was you know red black and white checks and and Mm. Or very yellow for bad moons. You know, Space Marines, you had the Ultramarines and bright blue. You had Dark Angels and very green. But just, you know, like very uh, chromatic color schemes. And then the Dark Eldar kind of come out in this kind of purplish black where everything in the background is like green and, and looks like toxic. And it was just such a different and yet still so grimdark addition to everything else that was going on. I don't know if you guys did, you know, when they kind of did break the mold, do you, do you remember, were there any models that stood out or any uh, impact that that had on you and your conception of some of the other factions? Well, I obviously wasn't playing back then. My first experience with them was when they were released as a, as an expansion to Dawn of War. Yeah. Uh, and I was already, I, honestly, in that game, I was in love with the Tau. I just, I like their aesthetic and the, the very, very long range aspect of their army in that particular game. It's how I like to play. So I messed around with the Dark Eldar, but they didn't click for me at the time. Uh, so I'm a relatively recent convert. Tom, what about you? Any any big takeaways from when you were first uh, kind of introduced to the Dark Eldar back in the day? Um, no, I, th- I mean, I liked the fact that they were kind of like, well, you know, we're fucked, so we may as well just embrace, uh, you know, do what we want to, because, you know, Slanesh is going to eat our souls anyway, so what the hell. Their reaction isn't really even about Slanesh. It's just the same thing they were doing before when they gave birth to him. It, <laughs> they just don't care. For, for the Drukari in Kamara, it, it's life as it was before. Uh, except if they don't, if they take a break from their Edenism and their, their torturing, then they do wither away and they turn into like these ghoulish half-beings, basically. Uh, yeah, but they, they just they like it. It's, you know, Phil, you're kind of, I, I think that's a good point. Like in the lore, right, so the, the fall of the Eldar Empire and the birth of Slanesh was around 30,000. Uh, kind of, I think, be- obviously before the Horus Heresy, because the Eye of Terror was already a thing at that point, And that's what uh, came from Slanesh. But the there was this obvious bifurcation, you know, if you count Exodites, trifurcation of Eldar. And you had the craft world, which were like definitely still like haughty and condescending, but like at least a little apologetic. Like, ooh, 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 we should probably <laughs> stop that stuff. 
And then you had these other guys who just turned into it. You know, it's kind of like when you're already drunk, like, well, fuck, I guess I'll just have eight more drinks because I'm going to feel like shit tomorrow no matter what. But, but you know, I think also in the 10,000 or 12,000 years in the universe since that happened, like, they've become even more depraved. So, like, a lot of the flesh crafting and homunculi activities weren't as pronounced and terrible as they were or they are in the current universe as they as they were when the Eldar fell. Well, yeah, they're they have really long lifespans. And if there's a homunculus around, then they have eternal life, basically, or nearly. So they're, they're the same leaders. They've just gotten really good at it. Uh, also, you have their society has basically been led by one person, theoretically, more or less, since almost since uh, the birth of Slash. Uh, you talking he, about Vect? Yeah. He's been running their society for thousands of years at this point. Which so you got to wonder, like, why does he even want to do that? Like, I get the whole piece of power hungry, but after like 10,000 years, you'd be like, you know, I'm, I kind of enjoy the, the, the sex murder thing, but maybe I'd rather do it in like a private villa somewhere in Kamrach. <laughs> the, the second he releases his death grip on the leadership of their people, he gets murdered painfully or well, he probably would survive. They'd probably keep him alive to torture over and over again as a symbol of status for whoever takes over next. Yeah. So, you mean, like, he's basically created, like, a, uh, a positive feedback loop where no matter what he does, he's unable to expert or, excuse me, extricate himself because he'll just be brought back in. Yeah. Although I, I don't think from what I've read that he wants to. I think he's perfectly happy running everything. Uh, being oh, a, man, but- 10,000 years bastard. is such a... Um, I mean, for a human it would be, but he's a he's a sex elf. So... Man has a point. And, and we, sh- we should explain for the, the listeners, too, if you're not familiar with the Drakari, essentially, there there is a lot of torture in their fiction, so if you ever do want to read some of the Black Library books, like, you know, fair warning, there's a lot of nasty torture and, like, almost like Hellraiser level of body horror because they essentially, to feed Slanash, they have indulged their depravity, so they actually will extract pain from people and use that to, I guess, how does it work? I mean, Tom, you're kind of the chaos expert. Was it just like feed Slanash and then Slanash doesn't eat their souls or something? Uh, No, he probably still will. My understanding of it is that he is feeding on their souls slowly. Uh, because they're spending so much time in the webway, he can't just eat them. But they basically replenish themselves off of other people's suffering. So, so really, they're slowly being drained, and it's like if you, you know, stab a guy or do uh, whatever Ramsay was doing in Game of Thrones. <laughs> that like it's like a vampire, like they leech off of that. Exactly. So how does like the so, if you're if you're in Kamarag and you're just like an El, like a dark Eldar dude, like you you're just the dark Eldar. I don't know, like Taylor. Like people come in and he, he fixes their <laughs> pants. Wait, does he go actively, like, torture people? Is there, like, a, a drink that's, like, you know, haterade that's distilled from pain that he drinks? Like, how does that work? <laughs> uh, I think, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how it happens for the people on the lower echelons of society. The aspiration is to join a, a cabal, to, to join a cabal for a, a regular Drakari and to rise through the ranks to eventually be able to go on raids into real space. Uh but there's plenty of depravity that goes on in their society amongst them. And probably just being Kamara is enough to pick up just sort of the, I don't know, like a contact high from all the horrible yeah. things going on around you. And underneath you, where all the uh, the homunculi labs are, that's under the city more or less, 
So that must waft up just fumes of depravity. Yeah, according to I'm um, I'm doing a search of various Reddits, and it sounds like we we never really in the fiction hear how they feed. It just kind of seems to just generally, like you said, it's like a contact tire. The fumes of emotion kind of just like fuel them. And again, there is lots of street warfare, just murder and backstabbing all the time. Uh, there's a blurb in the Codex about the Incubi that say that they like basically they're so focused on they're basically monks. They're warrior monks, effectively. And the nicest thing it says about them is that they would almost keep their word. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so other than Vect, uh, what do you guys have favorite Dark Eldar characters? Uh, there are a bunch of them that are interesting. I guess, since, as I mentioned, I'm relatively new to it, I need to spend a little more time before I have a lot of favorites. But there's... Uh, yeah, i got to dig through the uh, codex real quick here, but... There's oh Drazar. Uh, that's probably the one Master I was thinking. Master of right, yeah. Blades, like the the fallen Phoenix Lord. Drazar the Gazarian. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he doesn't talk. He just kills people. That's all he does, it's, and um, everyone respects the crap out of him. He's like super. Be- Wait, Tom, what did you call him? Drazar the Gazarian. Oh, is that a Ghostbusters <laughs> reference? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool. Tell me more about that lore. Oh, Ghostbusters. <laughs> What about, do you, do you guys remember, actually, Phil, you won't. Tom, do you remember there was, like, a character called, like, Krulog the Vile that I think was, like, Cruella DeVille was, like, some kind of playoff <laughs> for her. She's, she, I'll send a picture in the chat. She looked really dumb. Um, Lilith Halsbrex. Yeah, they just came up with, uh, updated her model, right? She, she's, like, the head Hecatrix, or Succubus. She's the head, head Succubus of the largest uh, witch, uh, witch cult, or coven. Which coming? I'm getting it all mixed up now. Undisputed champion of the gladiatorial arenas of Kamara. Yeah, there's also uh, another one that's interesting is Lady Aurelia Malice, who reads the Cabal of the Poison Tongue. Oh, is uh, that Vex's daughter? No, uh, ex, I guess, consort. Oh, and God, okay. uh, they had a falling out, and now she's leading a competing uh, Cabal. Who's at, they've actually left Kamara, and they're kind of waiting and watching to see what happens. She doesn't like him at all. Then who is this? Uh, she's ah, turn the page. With the one I sent the picture of, or the one Phil's talking about? The the, the picture. It's uh, here. I'll send you a. Uh, I, I'm trying to find more. She's doesn't a whole lot. Of it. It's Krulog the Vile. She looks like a Spider-Man villain. She totally does. I don't really know what they were going for. Oh yeah. You see that. Yeah, there are, there are lots of, uh, like, leaders and aristocrats in the Drukhari society, but Vect is, Vect is the big one, and uh, the homunculus uh, Urian Rockarth. That's right. saying that correctly. He's the, he's the real body horror guy. He's the, the king of body horror. Yeah, he's, he's a pretty fucked up dude. Although I think it's funny that in the, here, here's something that'll bring both of you guys together. In a story, I think it was a short story, uh, but it's also just part of the lore. Fabius Bile was captured by homunculi, and then he's so fucked up, he actually not only taught them shit, but they were freaked <laughs> out by him. <laughs> so they, like, let him go, and then, like, you know, he taught them some stuff, they taught him some stuff, and they kind of had, like, a, <laughs> like, you know, a con, and then after the con, they're like, okay, I, I guess you can go stay in touch, or, or don't, you're pretty fucked up. 
<laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, he he studied in one of their towers for a while. Yeah. And he was there like torture him, and he's like, "You could be doing that better." <laughs> I also like there's another fiction where I think Vect was in danger of like losing his relative uh, stranglehold on power, so he semi-tricked, semi-invited, semi-orchestrated a space marine invasion of part of Kamarag that took out like a couple of his rivals. So he I forgot what he did, but I think it was he told the salamanders like one of the tools of Vulcan was hidden in a part of Kamarag where his rivals were. So like the entire salamanders just showed up and started like flaming shit. And, <laughs> and uh he was like, oops. <laughs> The, the city isn't just a single city the way that we normally think of it. It's like a series of pocket dimensions that are all kind of tacked onto each other and all of gateways that go between them. And there was one point where there was he had a strong rival in another pocket realm, and he dropped an Imperial battleship on the city, that part of the city, and just obliterated the whole thing. Yeah. He does this a lot. He faked his death, and at his funeral, he basically had a bunch of Harlequins and Kabbalites and witches come out and assassinate everyone who attended his own funeral, and then they resurrected the loyal ones. So he still killed them, but then he brought them back. Pretty pretty fucking impressive. I mean, in terms of, like, just as planned, he's definitely up there. Yeah. You know, like, there's, there, you got, like, Araman, he's pretty good at that, although he tends to get bamboozled every now and then. You got Sarker Creed from Cadia. You got... I guess the ancient general, the emperor, like who else is like a justice plan? There's a bunch of them. There's a couple of Tau guys. There's like two or three Tau strategists. <laughs> I I will say like one of my favorite parts about Dark Eldar, I'm glad they added them to the official kind of fluff canon because, you know, they had like Dark Eldar, or excuse me, Eldar Corsairs and, you know, pirates. And then like, hey, you know, we really need, we need something sicker. Because <laughs> these, these chaos guys are bad, but we need something else kind of with a condescending tone to it, because we need another bad guy that people can hate. You know, I mean, if you remember, he was like the one that Vulcan stood up to and and fought against. And and you really, they're really pretty douchey guys. Like they take slaves and they torture people. It's it's almost like cartoon evil at times in a in a gross like you know hedonistic Hellraiser way. And there's he did originally start as just a, the largest of the port cities. In the webway, so the all the pirate metaphors are appropriate. It's a like a free port, you know. So, Tortuga. So that's the other thing. It's, yeah, it's like Tortuga, but like it, I, originally, I think Kamara, yeah, was like, oh, it's a city, and then over time, it became like, oh no, it's got three sons. How fucking big do you have to be to have three sons? <laughs> it's they're dying sons, though. Some of the uh, the other pocket realms that are attached to it also have their own suns. It's not just the ones in the main section. We've captured suns all over the place. That would mean that the 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 webway. It's it's an interesting thing because it makes the webway hard to understand. Is it tunnels? Because if it has a sun, let alone multiple suns, you're talking uh, millions of miles, you know, in uh, in length. Here, let's just out of curiosity, what's the? Do you guys know what the diameter of our sun is? Uh, I do not. Uh, 865,000 miles. Okay, so that's less than I thought. But that it, you know, let's if we look at what's our orbit around the sun, right? Orbit diameter of Earth. So the sun is 865,000. The distance from Earth to the sun, which is astron- astronomical unit, is 93 million miles. So we are 93 million miles from the sun. So if you're in Kamarag and you have three suns. 
triangulate a course, which is if they're dying, stars probably not that far, but certainly in the the tens of millions of miles away. Far enough to not be trapped in their own orbits. Right. Yeah. The the city is absolutely gigantic. It's I'm trying to look up the exact uh, the description of it, but basically it's it's not just a city. It could how it houses the population of like multiple planets, and it's because it doesn't exist in our dimension. It's just the whole thing is obscene. Uh, it's here's the quote: "It's complex on a dimensional scale, a monolithic and ever-changing tangle of impossibilities that could no more uh, be accurately mapped, uh, ap- could no more be accurately or comprehensively mapped than could the currents of the warp themselves." It's just a wild place, man. <laughs> I mean, dude, it sounds like a great place for a bachelor party. <laughs> yeah. yeah might not come out again but definitely have a good time or if you do you'll be like a husk of your former self like no no literally you will be a husk because there'll be no meat left inside of your skin sack <laughs> well as always this has been a fun trip down memory lane phil any <laughs> departing uh, thoughts about your car before we call this one uh, a successful episode uh yeah no this yeah. is this has been fun it's been cool talking to you guys. Thanks, man. And uh, with that, we'll bring ourselves to a close. Of course, Tom, what do we always say? Suck it. There is that. But we also say mash the like and subscribe button. And other things, too. Do we have like eight like catchphrases, Tom, for this part in the show? And yet we never remember any of them. Uh, uh, good fight. Good night. Adios, bachachos.